0: Welcome to the Carnivore Cast, a podcast focused on the carnivore diet and lifestyle with practical advice from successful carnivores, citizen scientists, and top researchers. I'm your host, Scott Maslinski, and I'm here to speak with experts and experienced carnivores to get answers to your biggest and medius questions while helping you live your best life as a carnivore. This episode is brought to you by Element Electrolytes. We know that salt, potassium, and magnesium are essential minerals, especially for those on carnivore, keto, and low-carb diets to relieve hunger, dizziness, cramps, headaches, and keep so many of your bodily processes running optimally, including sleep, brain and mental health, hormonal health, your heart, immunity, and more. Element Electrolytes are convenient, evidence-based, and delicious. My wife and I have been using Element for years, every single day. They're great for fueling hard workouts, getting adapted and beating keto flu, fasting, traveling with them, and kickstarting your day with energy. They're used by Navy SEALs, Olympic weightlisters, jujitsu athletes, and everyday people who want to make themselves better, like you and me. They're also founded by superhero Rob Wolf. <laughs> LMNT is offering free, that's right, free people, element sample packs to Carnivore Cast listeners. All you have to do is pay for shipping. Go to drinklmnt.com slash Carnivore to claim this awesome deal. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash Carnivore Cast, one word. And I'll include a link in the show notes. Dr. Ian Billinghurst is the quote OG of real raw food, real raw dog food, aka the barf diet, and the carnivore diet doctor of the dog world. Dr. B has written the top four bestsellers on raw food and is considered by all top dog health experts as the father of raw feeding and the barf diet, biologically appropriate raw feeding. He's a veterinary surgeon with over 40 years of experience dealing daily with health problems in companion animals. Welcome to the show, Dr. Billinghurst. Thank you very much, Scott. Great to be here. Yeah. Um, So I wanted to start with with how you first became a veterinarian and where um, along the line you became interested in raw diets.
1: Well, um, raw diets go way back, I think, to... um, my mum, who was said, we've got to to have a little bit of balance and everything, but um, I didn't go straight into vet school. I I did ag science first and um, up to graduation ended up on a research station doing research into potatoes, would you believe, and they were looking for um, to turn the potatoes into better potatoes for chips and uh, something I don't eat these days and haven't done for a long time. Well, actually, I tell a lie. If there's one on a plate near me, I am very tempted, but I know if I start, I won't stop. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> that's, that's a whole other story. But um, eventually, yes, I did become a vet after uh, living in the bush for a while, um, doing a lot of hunting. We used to go out um, hunting rabbits and, to some extent, kangaroos in the Australian bush. I was in my very early 20s, nearly married, and... Um, no experience of life and uh, having been a city boy all my life, ended up in the bush and um, went mad with guns. Can't do it these days, uh, can't possibly shoot anything, uh, just a, a dreadful idea. But back then when you're young and Yahoo and um, first t- time out in the bush, let loose with a gun and there were, there were no particular laws in those days. We were just just at it and actually feeding the family that way um, ended up feeding my dogs and cats that way as well, and, uh, of course, it opened up a whole new world for me. One of the things that it opened up for me was the insides of animals when you were uh, gutting them and skinning them for um, the family and for the dogs, and I thought, wow, what a great way to spend your life. And um, that really was part of the spur, and I say only part of it, uh, that, that pushed me into becoming a veterinary surgeon, and, um, one of the things I did think at the time when I was a, uh, an agricultural science graduate out there in the bush uh, hunting rabbits and what have you was um, I'd done a lot of nutrition in my ag science degree with uh, horses and uh, poultry, basically farm animals, sheep, cows and so on, uh, pigs to some degree, um, most, mostly, mostly sheep and cattle though, um, and poultry, wouldn't it be great to know more about dogs, dog nutrition? And, and the ironic, ironic thing is, I did end up uh, doing veterinary science, of course. Um, and in the final year, what was really disturbing at the time uh, to me was that we were taught by an agricultural science graduate about canine and feline nutrition. Couldn't believe it. And the bottom line to that training, and I believe it remains the same today is if the can or the bag says it's complete and balanced, then that's all you need to know about nutrition. Now, uh-huh. I think it's it's gone a little bit further these days, and uh, but not much, and I think that the message is basically the same. Today, though, it says as long as it's got an, a sticker that says um, fulfils all the AFCO, American Association of Feed, thats the word feed, control officials, then that's all you need to know, really, and um that's the that's the brainwashing of today's vets and it's it has been ever thus and it's actually getting worse because as the interest in raw food in companion animals has increased so has the pushback by the pet food companies who by the way are the people who train our vets in companion animal nutrition now if ever there was a conflict of uh, well I don't know <laughs> whether it's a conflict of interest or a promotion of their own interest, this has to be it. And um, the universities get away with it uh, or, or the pet food companies get away with it or they both get away with it, and the answer is very simple because to a large degree much of our modern training in um, veterinary science is one way or another funded by the pet food companies. It's, um, they are very much, in my opinion, the, um, the cigarette manufacturers of today's world in, in the veterinary world.
0: Yeah, it's very well said, and I, I, it astonishes me um, just how biased and ridden with misaligned incentives the pet food world is. Um, I, I remember reading uh, The Forever Dog uh, by Dr. Karen Becker, which I really recommend to everyone Um, who's interested in this topic, and she starts the first chapter by talking about um, the funding for veterinary schools (laughs) and how it's all by um, the big dog food companies, which coincidentally are also the big um, processed human
1: food companies like Mars and and others. Um, Absolutely baffling. Yep. Uh, An industry based on sugar, basically. I mean, uh, sure, it's starch, but as far as the metabolism of our animals and ourselves, for that matter, is concerned, the food that we eat today is predominantly starch-based, and that goes—and this is the Western diet—and um, it ends up in our bloodstream as masses of sugar. And we eat sugar for a lifetime, something our bodies were never designed to do. Now that is just absolutely shocking, and totally endorsed by our veterinary profession. Tragic.
0: Yeah. And it's really sad because we, as animal owners, are completely responsible for everything they they eat. It's entirely in our control. They can't decide what they can and can't eat. Um, so I, I feel like we have an even higher responsibility to uh, educate ourselves and, and know the benefits of proper feeding.
1: Yeah, but the problem is, Scott, um, we believe it's all been solved for us because that's what mm. our our veterinary surgeons tell us. Now, we trust them. Their training and everything else is pretty damn good in medicine and and, and surgery and and, and physiology and all that stuff. But when it comes to nutrition, it's abysmal. And they absolutely believe that this is the best way to feed and, and that the problems have been solved and that no problems, no health problems are in any way related to diet. That's what they fundamentally believe. And that being the case, that's the message they pass on to us. And we, as, as a group of pet owners and, and pet lovers and, and pet parents, we believe them. And so this terrible cycle of ill health is continued, and it's continued by the very profession that should be having the opposite effect.
0: Yeah, it's, it's quite sad, and it's... it's um... I can only laugh at it, but I've been to several vets, um, in the U S who, who, you know, they ask, what are you feeding your dog? And, um, then they'll say, oh, well, um, you know, they'll provide all this evidence, all these studies, and they'll give a talk down to you as as if you're a bad owner for feeding your dog raw. Um, and they, they tell you about all the, the problems that can happen. And sometimes they'll even, um, when your dog is sick, they'll just blame that that diet, even even if it, there's no evidence that there's a connection between it. it it's it's quite frustrating.
1: Uh, it's exceedingly frustrating, and in fact, um, I often see articles, or, or have done for years, and I continue to see articles, talks, where a veterinary surgeon, and he he or she does this with the best of intentions, and they're actually not telling the truth. They will say how they every week they m- removed. Bones from dozens of dogs in, insides because they were they, they <laughs> such severe damage, or that they treat dozens of cases of food poisoning um, and enteric problems based on the fact that the, the animals ate raw food. And they will say, so don't do it. It is so dangerous. We are and we are so busy dealing with the problems it causes. Now they're not telling the truth, but they think they're doing you a service by telling little fiblets. Uh, because they firmly believe that the product is dreadful and that they were taught that by the pet food companies that, um, that schooled them in nutrition as undergraduates. And, and, and isn't that brilliant for the pet food companies because they carry that myth and that lie with them throughout their life, and that's what they preach.
0: Yeah, insane. Um, and can you talk about um, some of the essential parts of uh, a raw meat diet for dogs? Um, what, what are the, or, or cats as well? Like what are, what are the most important pieces? What's the basic framework?
1: Right. Well, now for our cats, our cats are obligate carnivores. So, um, they're basically pretty well pure carnivores, whereas our dogs are what they call facultative carnivores. They're carnivores that also have an ability to eat and digest some vegetable material, and so we have to look at the evolutionary background of both species. But let's just let's concentrate on the dog for a moment because the cat is absurdly simple to feed. It's basically whole prey. Um, so if you can grind up a, a cow or, or a rabbit or a duck or a, whatever, a rat if you like, as long as you've made sure that you've frozen it to get rid of the uh, parasites and what have you, um, then that is, that is the food for, for a cat. For a dog, we're a little bit different, and we have to look at a few interesting words or, or, or words that describe the dog. The dog is a scavenger. The dog is coprophagic, it eats feces. The dog is, yes, he, he's a fresh food eater, a hunter, but he's also a, a, an eater of rotten and revolting food. He's a bone eater. He's a bone eater to a larger degree than the cat because of his scavenging background, and that's very important. My first book was called Give Your Dog a Bone. He's an organ meat eater. Um, And of course, uh, he's he's a muscle eater. So basically, nose to tail, nose to tail, including the gut contents. So we're looking at all of those things. And I I came up very early in my career and as a veterinary surgeon when I realized what was going on and what they needed to eat, with about 60% raw meaty bones for the, and and this, this applied to Every age group, you could use it for every age group of dog, whether it was a puppy or a senior dog, Um, 60% raw meaty bones, and that where the bones and the meat were about equal ratio and and of the bones, there was a fair bit of cartilage in there as well, and this turned out really great as as, uh, chicken wings and chicken necks, that sort of thing, because they were soft and easily eaten and digested by most dogs and easily obtainable. Uh, extra muscle meat perhaps uh, as they're older you really do need the 60 percent as as young growing dogs because they need that for their balanced calcium and phosphorus. Not nearly so important for an older dog because an older dog has established its bones and it can take in what it requires. But having said that, I still like that higher bone ratio for the older dog because they are, after all, remain as scavengers and that is what they would have eaten to a large degree throughout their evolutionary period during their later years as well as their junior years. But um, gut contents. Now, this is terribly important. Well, I'll come back to that actually. So we've got organ meat. That's, that's a vital part, and a lot of people leave that out. So liver, kidney, heart becomes the most important parts of that diet. And so we're looking at 60% raw, meaty bones. We uh, where about half and half uh, meat and, and the other half um, bone and cartilage, maybe 10 to 15 up to 20% cartilage. Now, all of these proportions are very rough. They don't have to be exact. There were no Excel spreadsheets out there in the wild as our dogs evolved, and that's the way it works. You just have to be roughly in the ballpark. Um, maybe 15, 10, but 20%, maybe more vegetable material, but it's got to be crushed and ground up like the gut contents of a herbivore. And there's one other aspect of that I'll come back to. Um, and then the fact that dogs are coprophagic. Now, apart from the bacterial content of feces and, and being a, a feces eater, coprophagic, um, feces contains the living and dead bacterial bodies. Um, of, of, of a wide range of organisms living in the gut of the prey species and of their own their own their own gut um, and in the gut of other of other carnivores and this um, these dead bodies they are full of they're actually excellent food. So feces is an excellent food because it's got first class protein from the bacterial, bacteria that produced it. It's got, of course, the um, essential fatty acids in every membrane of every bacterium that was there. It's um, high in vitamins. That's B vitamins, vitamin K. Uh, So essential fatty acids, B vitamins, protein, uh, and, of course, fibre, high in fibre, particularly if it's from herbivores. And then then we come to the all-important bacteria and we What our dogs miss today, and even when they're raw fed, and I've got to emphasise this, what our dogs are missing today, even when they're raw fed, because a lot of the raw fed diets that we produce for our dogs now, by law, have to be sterilised and pasteurised, and what's missing, of course, is the bacterial, the living part, and uh, it's important that we restore that, and that's where fermented food comes in, and um, Scott, I will talk a little bit more about that, but that's that's the basic framework for a dog um, meat, raw meaty bones, foods. Oh, and the foods that rep that rep raw meaty bones, organ meat, um, and the gut contents. So so really nose to tail. But of course, we're not going to feed feces to our dogs. We just simply can't do that. And uh, what 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 do we do to replace that? Well. Over the over the years, I've said, "Well, what we need to do is, oh, what's first class protein? Well, that's very simple: eggs, also cottage cheese, things like that with branched chain amino acids, um, essential fatty acids. Throw in some fish oil because it's got the activated omega threes, and we know that modern foods, if you even wherever they are now, contain sufficient levels of omega six, which is absolutely the the quintessential." Essential uh, fatty acid. They've got, um, what else are we going to do? We're going to throw in some probiotics. Now, up until now, I've said throw in some uh, sauerkraut, sorry, throw in some yogurt or um, kefir, that sort of thing. And and what we noticed over the years, they wouldn't, a lot of dogs wouldn't eat sauerkraut. But now um, with my, the, the new business that I'm working with with uh, Rob Ryan, we're actually throwing in fermented vegetables in powdered form, and and that's actually got a little bit of cheese in it, which the dogs absolutely love. And so we're now getting we're restoring that microbiome. So so this is the, this is the essential um, food that we need to feed our dogs. Although I I didn't mention kelp and um, for, for minerals because the kelp, of course, from the sea contains all the vital micronutrients, the microminerals. It's very simple. It's very simple. You really just have to think in terms of what a dog would eat in the wild and then mimic that with food from the local supermarket. And, of course, this is what I've explained for years in my lectures and books. So raw meaty bones, organ meat, something to represent faeces, and, you know, you're pretty well there. It's, it's beyond simple. Most people want to make it too hard.
0: A lot of people ask me about how to make liver more tasteful and how to cook it or incorporate other organ meats on carnivore. Optimal Carnivore can help you do just that with their grass-fed organ complex. It was created by carnivores for carnivores. They start by sourcing 100% grass-fed organ meats from New Zealand, gently freeze-drying the organs and encapsulating them into convenient bovine gelatin capsules. Just six of these capsules a day is the same as eating an ounce of raw organ meat. I personally take these every single day, as does my wife. Even though we both eat liver and other organ meats, our ancestors would have eaten the whole animal. And this unique blend has nine different organs, including beef liver, brain, thymus, kidney, spleen, etc. And I think it's great to get a daily dose of these organs when you can. So it covers all your bases, whether you're at home or traveling. What's also cool is they plant a tree for every product sold, which helps the environment. So visit www.optimalcarnwar.com slash carnwarcast and use the code carnwar10 to receive 10% off your purchase. Thanks and back to the show. Yeah, it's a great framework and um, I'd love to dive a little bit more into um, the fermented foods, um, can you talk about why that's so essential and um, how, how you came about uh,
1: your, your current business? Well, we knew, or I, I knew years ago, that dogs absolutely love to eat. Um, they, they were coprophagic. They eat faeces. In fact, I could just see so many uh, German shepherds particularly back in the day when German shepherds were they worried about hip and elbow displacement, and, all those, and we still are, by the way, um, they were fed this really poor quality dry dog food so they wouldn't grow too fast and they wouldn't get too much um, artificial calcium in their diet. And eating this food, as soon as they'd eaten it, uh, it pushed through a, a mound of stinking faeces out the back end and they'd immediately turn around and eat that up. And I thought, Yep, that food at the back end is far more nutritious than the food that went in the front end because it's been uh, changed by bacteria. So I knew this was important. Also knew that dogs dug up bones. Also know that they they drank out of toilet, but bo- you know, and uh, when they dug up bones, of course they were all fermented and rotting. Uh, they they drank out of toilet bowls. They licked their own and other animals' genitals with all the feces and what what other bugs were there. So I knew this was important and. I didn't have the, the complete knowledge back then, but I'd had some figuring that this had because the gut was such an important component of the dog's immune system, and we also knew back then, to a small degree, but not to the degree we know now, that the uh, gut was very much connected with the mind. So there was this mind-gut connection. So the mental health of dogs was was also there, stuck with firmly embedded in the microbiome, and um, I also had figured out that the whatever they ate, the microbiome would change uh, in response to that. And in, if the microbiome was being fed by some food that wasn't right, then the dog wasn't going to be right. So we, we, there was immune competence. There was autoimmune disease. There was mental health. There was gut health. There was overall health. And there was ability to resist things like cancer. All, all resident in the entire diet and also, as part of that, and a very integral part of that, the microbiome, which was doing all these wonderful things that we still haven't. There's no way we have explored this. It's too complex, uh, and it's a huge. It's a huge topic, and it's a wonderful topic. And um, so, when Rob said to me, and I, Rob was a, a um, he was a client of mine, Rob Ryan, who founded Gussie's Gut. When Rob spoke to me, oh gosh, well, maybe six months ago now, about what he was doing, I thought, wow, this in a in a way is the missing link. It's a way of getting of restoring the uh, microbiome and, a, and and in a good way, because we're getting fermented vegetables, so we're getting all the benefits of vegetables, and that's not even a product, something I've even talked about with all those phytonutrients, but fermented, so they've they've got added benefits. And he was doing this. I think this is going to restore what we've been missing for so long. It's going to restore those. It's a restoration food in many ways, restoring the microbiome in a brilliantly healthy way to we can use it in in every animal or every dog and cat that's around because they all eat badly to some degree. Even the raw-fed ones now are eating pasteurized food where the microbiome or the natural organisms present have been removed. So, um, yes, I'm quite excited by this this revolution and this ability now to simply sprinkle a powder on that's been really lovingly crafted and and very carefully crafted from a a range of uh, vegetables, then properly fermented, then freeze-dried, turned into a powder, made a little bit palatable with some lovely uh, cheese, and then available for our dogs and um, what a wonderful thing. No matter what your dog is um, being fed, we can at least start to restore that. And once people get the idea of restoring the microbiome and they start thinking about it, they start thinking more carefully about what they're feeding their dog and they start to look into it and suddenly they discover that their dog is this carnival with omnivorous leanings. And the, the food that they're feeding should also be raw. And then they start looking at it even further. Uh, of course, um, the one we have to convince back out there is is our veterinary surgeons. And that's a whole other story. But beginning now with the microbiome, as, as we are, or as I am now, and able to talk about it and sensibly introduce it into dogs' diets, I'm really excited by this. Yeah, it's fantastic. and. Um... How
0: do you advise that people transition dogs to raw feeding or a
1: raw-based diet? Most dogs, most dogs, I've always said, and I said, um, stop feeding the uh, dreadful food and start feeding real food. And and, and the simplest way to do that is simply to feed them something like chicken wings or chicken necks. And um, one of the things you do have to be careful about is if they've never eaten it before, you're going to get one of two reactions. Some dogs, and not very many, will say, what what, what on earth is this? Most dogs will say, oh, my goodness, you're giving me real food at long last. (laughs) Who's been talking to you? And then if they're very hungry, they will gulp it down. Now, if they're a middle-sized dog and they eat a small chicken wing, as they inhale that with the great gusto, there is always the danger that it could get lodged in the trachea or trachea, I think, as you say, in America. And that is not a good outcome. Something lodged in the trachea or trachea actually stops breathing and death ensues fairly quickly. So you have to match the raw meaty bone to the dog. The other thing that's a great way to start is, in fact, um, well, in, in um in the united kingdom for many years they would they would get tripe and i think you can even get tripe here which is fermented food yeah not allowed not not allowed in australia not greed tripe anyway there are laws against it and i think that simply because it does contain bacteria and everything you feed your dog is supposed to be sterile but if you can it probably doesn't matter what else you've been feeding don't give a, a raw meaty bone to a dog who's never had it before and who may enjoy it with such gusto they inhale it. Don't give it to them on a full stomach. Give it to them, sorry, on an empty stomach. Give it to them on, a, on, on when they've eaten something else so they can at least proceed to have a go at it in a more leisurely manner. Now, if they've eaten too much, what they will do is simply pick it up, take it out of the backyard if they have access to a backyard, find a soft bit of soil and bury it. And that's not what you want either. Uh, no, not straight away anyway, but the best way to transition a dog is to simply things like chicken wings, chicken necks, um, lamb flaps, um, oxtails, something that they can get their teeth in, they can actually enjoy. That's, that's the best way. And then gradually introduce them to other foods. But what's important to understand, the dog being a scavenger and having lived on raw meaty bones for millions of years as a predominant part of their diet. Something like a chicken wing or a chicken neck is absolutely brilliant food, almost a complete diet if you think about it. What's it contain? Well, it contains all the minerals that get stored in bones, and that's most of the minerals we require, particularly calcium phosphorus. It's got high-quality protein from the meat and the bones. It's got the cartilage, and I'll come back to cartilage. It's it's got um, essential fatty acids in the bone marrow and most of the B vitamins present in the muscle as well. And, and they're going to make from this food in their own gut many of the vitamins they need, the, the B vitamins and vitamin K. So, and the other thing to know about raw meaty bones and dogs and diet in general is that each meal does not have to be complete and balanced. Yes, the overall diet should be, but not, but not each meal. In fact, I believe that um trying to make each meal complete and balanced is actually so non-evolutionary that it probably works against our dogs in long-term health and, and I relate that very much to intermittent fasting but that's a whole other other message here. Um, but the essential the, the fact that I was making a point about here was that raw meaty bones are a complete diet pretty well a complete diet in themselves. and if you wanted to get your dog transitioned and do it without too many gut upsets, just some, if, if it's a medium-sized dog that is, isn't going to choke on, on the raw meaty bones, then feed them at every meal and you might feed them twice a day for a week. And that's fine. Their poo is going to harden up immensely. It's become going to, and you'll notice it out in the sun, it's going to become very soft, sorry, very white and hard very quickly and uh, it's much less offensive than the stuff that you get when you feed dry dog food, for example, but that's, that's a great way. And, and then you can introduce solely other components. The other way to do it is what I call BARF patties, B-A-R-F, Bones and Raw Food, Biologically Appropriate Raw Food. And in this I, I use a base of um, vegetable material. What It's raw, it's in season, and, and whatever vegetables and maybe a little bit of fruit, put through a juicer, recombine the juice and the pulp, and that's the gut contents, now, then, at this point, if you've got Gussie's gut, you can throw that in and that now becomes magnificent, but also throw in a bit of yogurt. You're going to throw in some ground-up raw meaty bones. I've actually got a um, commercial mincer for this. Throw in some organ meat. That's also ground up. Uh, throw in some eggs, a little bit of kelp, and make these bath patties. And, of course, the recipes for these are, are in my book, but that's that's the basic essentials, organ meat, ground-up meat and bones, eggs, yogurt, Gussie's gut, that sort of thing, and there you have this complete diet. And for those people who are really worried about the complete diet, well, you can actually make what amounts to a complete diet with these bath patties. I recommend making a few different versions of the bath patties so you get a wide range of raw whole foods that are appropriate for the dog in these patties and feed those. And that's a very simple way to get your dog started as well. look, there are many roads to Rome, and you really can't go wrong. <laughs> you just have to start and then what what you need to know also is the basic principles of evolutionary nutrition and that simply means knowing the sort of foods that I've already talked about that dogs need to eat and what they evolve to require. And they are so simple. And the other thing I like to say to people is you don't have to worry about knowing, any sort of nutritional essentials, because dogs don't eat nutrients, they eat food that contains nutrients. And they're not looking to have so much vitamin A and so much omega-3, they're looking to have so much organ meat, so much bone, so much essential fatty acids, sorry, so much fat. And when you feed them that way, feeding them food that they evolved to eat, the body takes care of it what it requires by these wonderful homeostatic mechanisms that have been honed by evolution in your dog over millions of years. doesn't happen that way with synthetic food that we feed because that's not what the dog body has evolved to require and work with homeostatically, but it has with real food and it takes what it wants and works out the balance. So long as you've got those foods in the right ballpark, you can't go wrong. So really, you could start anywhere you like with raw food and funnily enough most dogs don't need a transition they just they go straight to raw food sure you might cause a bit of digestive upset and I guess if, if you're um, in, in a, um, a house with with carpet and you've got nowhere else to go maybe then just go the start off with raw meaty bones but otherwise if dog has access to the backyard and can go out there and 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 poop um then that's absolutely fine those those that microbiome will start to take care of itself very quickly, and the dog's health will restore so beautifully. Um, you will very quickly not be worried about um, this transitional period because one of the things happen that happens if, if you mix up say uh, dry food with some raw food, and you can do this, but if you but if you do, it actually confuses the stomach a little bit. The stomach actually wants to know, am I going to eat digest a mainly um, carbohydrate meal, which is what it's been doing for a long time, or a mainly protein meal. Because if it's digesting a mainly protein meal, it's going to produce a lot more hydrochloric acid to deal with it. Anyway, um, for most people, you don't have to know the details, but you can just go straight into it, Scott. That's, um, That's my message.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we did with ours, and that worked very well. Um, as soon as we brought her home, we we started feeding her. Uh, we were actually able to get tripe um, here here in the states, and we fed her a, a tripe mix that included bone um, and minerals and a little bit of uh, other organs as well. Um, and she did very well on that. And um, how how can we expect some of these changes to affect the lifespan and health span
1: of our dogs? Oh, <laughs> in a word, brilliantly. The lifespan and health span both expand exponentially. And that seems well, in my experience, no matter what stage of life your dog or your cat for that matter is at, if you start feeding them the right food, then their lifespan and their health span is going to expand dramatically. And what we see, what really amazed me right from the word go was that by feeding real food so many health problems simply disappeared they didn't have to be and this this was just an incredible revelation to me as i looked and all the training i'd had in diagnosis and in treatment and the complex drug regimes and everything else suddenly that all became redundant i thought my god These problems simply don't have to be. What we are doing is feeding products that promote the disease that then brings the animal back to us that we then have to diagnose and treat. A wonderful business model for the veterinary profession, absolutely incredible because we're we're being praised for for endorsing and, and recommending this food, but it's subtly and for most people totally unconsciously causing the problems that bring them back to me Wow, um, what, what a revelation. Uh, so I just could not believe, and, and this, this was the, the light that went on my head, um, and in many ways it, it made me a very lazy vet because for most cases of health problems, all I had to do was switch their diet, and the problem very simply slowly and quietly disappeared. And what I also noticed when I thought about it and, and made some, I was doing a lot of clinical research, so I was correlating health with diet over the years. This one disease, and this, and this is just one, but, and it applies to them all, but this one disease stood out in many ways. The dogs that ate this way for a lifetime rarely, if ever, developed cancer. If they did, it was much later in life, so that the health span was really long and, and the lifespan was long. And if it did occur, it was far less aggressive. And, you know, and, and that sort of thing applied to all diseases. Um, I was doing acupuncture at the time, and I found that if I just did acupuncture and didn't change the diet, the acupuncture was kind of working like a drug, and it would work for a while, and then the, the um, problem would come back. If I changed the diet as well... The acupuncture still worked like a drug in that it gave us immediate relief and some help, but long-term it was the diet that was fixing the problem. And this this actually, I was studying acupuncture and uh, I was realising that nutrition was the absolute king or queen or monarch, if you like, of therapies because this was the thing that was fixing most health problems. No matter what the alternative therapy, the alternative therapy actually to a great degree relied upon nutrition to be effective. And I thought, well, this is where I have to head with my career, and I certainly have. Uh, that's the path that uh, it's forced me to follow. I, I've, I've actually been compelled to follow that path. I had no other choice. Um, so, yes, it expands the health span and the lifespan and deals just without even being changed to make turn it into a prescription raw diet, just without being changed, it fixes most health problems. It's amazing.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really life-changing um, for dogs and, and for our owners as well. Um, and, and you touched on it briefly, but uh, meal timing and fasting, how should we think about
1: that for, for our dogs? Well, I think we should think about it the way we think for ourselves, but in a way even more so. Um, over the years, I've had people uh, who switched their dogs to raw and they instantly, well, not instantly, <laughs> well, yes, I guess in many ways it was instant, they noticed straight away that their dogs were less hungry and their dogs naturally fasted when they were fed raw. And, and the reason for that is quite simple. Um, well, it's, it's, a, it's a metabolic reason and, and the simplest explanation or, or, or the most perhaps the most obvious reason is that when you feed a lot of carbohydrate-rich food, you raise insulin levels instantly because of that high sugar rush into, into the bloodstream. When you raise insulin levels, of course, insulin is the hormone of storage. So the, um, the the sugar drops drastically, and this becomes a signal to the body that we're hungry and we need to eat it, or, or the, we need to eat again. So we the hung all the hunger hormones come rushing out, and so we continue to eat. We're eating all the time. Now when we feed what is basically a a paleo diet, a carnivorous diet, an evolutionary diet, a genomic-appropriate diet, whatever you want to call it, natural diet, even keto. That's a whole other story, but it's all part of it. When we feed that, blood sugar remains very constant, and what you're doing is you're feeding foods that the body just naturally, your canine body just naturally attunes to, doesn't need to eat so often. Um, And so some dogs that I've known only will request food every second. An extreme case, this dog would only eat every third day, and this was a very ex- exceedingly active um, Vizsla. It was an amazing dog. But but not just that wasn't just a one-off. There were a lot of dogs who would only eat definitely only once a day and sometimes only every second day, so they naturally fasted. So if your dog is used to eating several meals a day, then, yes, Put it into a smaller window, as we do for ourselves, so so that we've got intermittent fasting happening. And if your dog says one day, I don't want to eat, say, absolutely fine. I mean, unless there's a health problem, then, then you should get your dog to a vet. But if, if your dog is naturally racing around the place and said, no, I'm too interested in life, and the your dog is maintaining a good weight, and that's what, you, what you're trying to maintain by the amount you feed, you look at your dog and you weigh your dog, And if uh, he's still brilliantly muscly and and full of life and says, no, I'm not eating today, say, yeah, well, that's great. That's what we want. We want a bit of fasting because that's when the body repairs itself. So everything you know about human fasting, it's dogs kind of do it uh, on steroids, if you will.
0: Yeah. I I think we've seen similar effects with our dog. And right now I think we feed her um – Twice a day most days, but it's within four hours. Um, so she's fasting most of the day. And then uh twice a week we just we'll give her one meal. And she does really well with that. She's a very active dog, needs a lot of food. Um and how about practices outside of um the diet and fasting? What are some other things that we can do to really um enhance the well-being and, and health of our dogs? Um, that, that you believe in and would
1: advocate for people? Well, of course, uh, exercise. Absolutely essential for us all. And as I say that, I've, I'm feeling guilty about myself. Of course, as, as time goes by, I seem to be doing less and less. But uh, so <laughs> it's one of those things, particularly when you get bound up writing and doing other things. But anyway, exercise, breathing fresh air, and you know, in our polluted world, that could become difficult. Touching the earth. Get on a beach, get in the water with your dog, if you can, if you're able, but take, go out barefoot, hopefully away from anything that's going to cause any problems, both your dog and you barefoot, um, getting healthy exercise, breathing in plenty of oxygen, I guess. Um, and, of course, the other thing is um, if we don't love our dogs and show them that we love them, then they too are being sentient creatures are going to miss out on that aspect, which which also extends their life. Um, so, but I mean, it is really very simple. All the things that you know for yourself that are good, keep them away. Obviously, from from toxic elements. If, if you if you live under high tension wires, it might be a good idea to shift houses because that's maybe not good. You know, if you're using lots of um, chemicals in your house, the dog in your house is going to be very close to all those because they're going to drift to the floor and that's where your dog lives and if you're using carpet, you know, the smelly stuff for your carpet, maybe even get rid of a lot of those carpets um, that that tend to accumulate toxins and dust and all sorts of things. Just think about in terms of, and I guess if you want to, if you really want to think about those things, yes, the book by uh, Forever Dog by um, Karen and Rodney, absolutely brilliant in teaching you about the dangers of our modern world and how to avoid it. But but um, all of those things, very important, most important in my mind is absolutely getting your dog off processed pet food because that is the big killer. So no matter what else you do, please get your dog off processed pet food and, and start feeding real, whole, raw food. Then you're going to see extended, extension of life, extension of health, and enormously reduced vet bills. One of the problems, I I just said I know I'll ramble a bit here, but one of the problems I see is that because people who feed their dogs properly rarely go to visit the vet, the vet has no idea that diet is related to health because they never see it because the people never turn up. So what what would be a good idea is for people who do feed this way is to actually spend a little money by going to the vet just for a health checkup and start to educate their vet because our vets need educating badly in nutrition.
0: Yeah, I, I really think the diet is the biggest rocks and, and that's really um, where a lot of the, the results will come from. And a lot of people are already doing a lot of the other stuff, getting their dogs to, um, you know, touch the earth every day, exercise, etc. cetera. Um, but a lot of those things are just magnified and enhanced when they're eating the right food. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Billinghurst, this has been fantastic. Um, Thank you so much for coming on. I've learned a lot, and I'm sure the audience will have as well. Where can people find you and your work? And I'll, of course, have links to everything in the show notes as well.
1: Well, two places. Um, My own website, which is just um, drianbillinghurst.com, and uh, Gussie's Guts to learn more about the microbiome, and you can actually get a free sample. and uh, so th- that's it. Dustysgutgut dot com and uh, Dr. Ian Billinghurst. Oh, I think they're, just, they're both dot com. Um, isn't that terrible? I'm probably the worst person.
0: <laughs> no worries I'll, think I'll, think I'll make sure. Them. I'll make sure to get the links and have them in the show notes. <laughs> could
1: could you do that, Scott? Yes, absolutely. Um, because they can get a, sam- a free sample and then they can try it for themselves. But for goodness' sake, everybody out there, get your dog off rubbish food and start feeding real food.
0: Yeah, well said. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you, Scott. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting the Carnivore Cast on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you'll help us reach more people and continue to create content on Carnivore. There are also exclusive perks available, such as private Q&As, consultations with me, and more. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash carnivorecast. Check the episode description for the link. Thank you, and I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carnivore Cast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review on iTunes. It really helps us out. And share it with a friend. What questions would you like answered, or who would you like to hear from in the carnivore research community? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CarnivoreCast, or go to CarnivoreCast.com. You can also email me at info at I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep it carnivore.